We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Bellato. And tonight, we are joined by a special guest tonight. It is Sean Syed of Syed Schemes. So you could follow him at Syed Schemes. That's S-Y-E-D-S-C-H-E-M-E-S. And I would suggest doing this right now. Literally pause the podcast, go follow him on Twitter. No, no, you're laughing over there, Sean. But you're one of the first people that I found when I started really diving into the X's and O's and the film side of football which is a side that I'm obviously obsessed with. It's really what our podcast is all about at its core. And so you can learn a lot. You listen, and by you, I mean listening to the podcast right now. You can learn a lot. And he is this week, I mean, obviously it's Giants-Vikings. He covers the Vikings, but this week there's been some stuff on the Giants and the Vikings matchup coming up. But you'll learn just anything just following his film breakdown. So we're really excited to get him in today. Really excited to talk X's and O's. And this is going to be a different kind of preview than we've had basically all year. Basically from this you know, until this point, we've had some players on, we've had some analysts on, but we haven't really dove much into the X's and O's of this and the film stuff. So I'm very excited to actually get the take of the opponent, uh, the take from someone who knows his stuff about the opponent they're uh, playing coming up. So, Sean, without further ado, let's just dive right into this thing. The first thing I want to ask you about this may not be, you know, as nitty gritty, but one thing I've heard all season, and I haven't really watched any Vikings tape too much, at least until this point, is that. They play a lot of off coverage and they're really bad in off coverage. Their numbers are really bad on defense and off coverage. This, when I hear it, I think, well, maybe the Giants can finally unlock their passing game this week against this style of defense. So what do you think so far of the scheme on defense this year? I, I believe it's a first year coordinator on defense, obviously, with the first year head coach. And what about that off coverage? Like anything you've seen lately that's changed or anything they should do differently? Nick and Dan, so glad to be here. Uh, awesome intro. Really do appreciate that. So the defense, it's it's an interesting kind of conundrum. So it's a Fangio tree defense. Ed Donatel has worked with Vic Fangio for a really long time. Uh, as you said, first year of the scheme, we're what? Like 14, 15 games into the scheme. And the easiest thing to point to is to say, hey, this is a, a defense that they want to put kind of a ceiling over the offense, right? We want to make you check it down. We want to make you take snap after snap. Eventually, we think one of our rush guys in Zadarius Smith or Daniil Hunter is going to make a play, or we think you're going to mess up, right? And that has happened to the Vikings' advantage. The games where the Vikings' defense hasn't looked as good is particularly when they don't get pressure. 
you know, all of your defensive calls look way, way better when the quarterback's on the ground, right? Whatever you call, if you're getting pressure, it, it just makes it better. I know Giants fans love to think about, you know, the OC days, the tough days where Tom Brady's on his back, right? Your defense looks better when your defensive line is playing well. In terms of off coverage, what's changed a little bit just really in that last game that we saw from against the Colts, obviously it's hard to kind of do a one-to-one with how much is this going to relate to the future because that was such a wild game and how many of those things are like, hey, we really need to speed this, speed the other team's offense up. But they did play a lot tighter coverage. And so part of that, I think, is you're playing the same coverages. It's just in your match, you're playing that a little tighter, right? That is one thing. But they also did use man coverage a little more. I think that zone coverage is a beautiful thing, and every team uses it, will use it, and will continue to use it. But particularly in two high structures that, of course, the Vikings, that's their base. Uh, and that's something that the Fangio tree loves. Those flat defenders, those quarter flat defenders, they are asked to do a lot. But again, that is by design, right? We're not going to let up home run balls. If you run four verts at us, we're not going to have an issue with that. But every single defensive call has a weak point, right? So what I love that I saw last week was that that tighter coverage, a little bit more man, a little bit more pressure. And that's something I know that Giants fans love. And it's such a funny convergence for the Giants and Vikings to kind of cross over now, where I think maybe last week for the Giants, where they had those kind of double teams built in versus Terry McLaurin and seeing a little bit different stuff there, and then it seems like the Vikings picked up Wink Martindale's kind of menu and went to more man coverage and blitzing. So it's, it's funny that we're crossing over at this point, but I will say I'm going to 100% admit I have a pro-ed Donatel bias. I know that in every article I've written, I think there's been someone to comment like, man, like Donna Shell or Fire Donatel. But it's a system that takes time. It, it is for a purpose. Things look worse when you don't get pressure or when you don't turn over the ball. But, you know, I think that it is, it is a system that showed, particularly last week, it is adaptable. And you do look better when you're playing against maybe an aging quarterback with receivers that are a little bit of a less of a threat. So it is going to be interesting against the Giants who, you know, no shot, of course, to their receivers. But I think our receivers may be a little bit better uh, Just on a this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little. And Sean, I think this is a good, um, good place to start. Since the Vikings, like you said, they want to take away those big plays, right? The Giants... They don't create big plays. They, they just they just don't. That's not what they do through the passing attack. So do you expect to see, as you kind of alluded to, just a similar approach than what we saw last week? Because Minnesota, they're a big cover six type of team. Dropped cover six off after week 13, and they ran at 15.9% against Detroit, 13.9% against the Colts. And as you said, their man coverage spiked. Last week against the Colts, they ran man coverage 35.4% of the time. What do you expect Ed Donatel to do against the New York Giants? So I do think that, like Ed Donatel had a press conference uh, today on Wednesday, and he talked a little bit about, you know, this was kind of a one-off game in a little bit of ways, but I, I don't fully buy into that because I do think that we should expect more man coverage against the Giants. The one issue with that is, or particularly on those third downs, one issue with that is, is Matt Ryan's not going to be running around a lot, right? You wouldn't expect him to scramble. And Daniel Jones does, which whatever your take on Daniel Jones, that is such, such, such a problem for every sort of defense, right? Like to have that as an extra thing to drill that all week in practice, that makes it harder for you to want to play man, right? Because I feel fine, I think, maybe with our cover guys streaking down the field. But, you know, Daniel Jones breaks the pocket and extends that time where it's two and a half seconds or it's getting closer to three seconds from snap to throw. That has been a stress for uh, for the Vikings, of course, everyone looks worse when they play the Eagles, but I think the way Jalen Hurts played against them was really well. I'm not going to compare Daniel Jones and, 
and Jalen Hurts, of course. But I would expect, you know, maybe some unique pressures in that same way. Not not the fancy, fancy stuff that Wink gets. But just sending, you know, that weak side linebacker test of protection, right? Especially the way I think the Giants like to get Saquon out. That's actually something that stresses me out on the Viking side. We've had some issues. I say we like I play for them. Uh, we, of course, just the Vikings, right? The Vikings have had some issues with backs kind of quick out of the backfield in terms of, well, how do you communicate that, right? Do you want your nickel to kind of stay in that spot and still cover that flat? Or do you want to have an end come to him? And I think we saw uh, against the commanders, right? You're going to take Saquon in open field against a defensive end. Right. right. So that's going to be an issue. That's something that I really want to focus on. Are we going to be able to have something to make sure, look, on third downs, we can't watch Daniel Jones running around. And maybe you want to see that and have Daniel Jones throw the ball up and maybe we'll we'll take one of those. But that's going to be the stress point, I think, where it changes in terms of, okay, if we're not threatened by the receivers in the same way as the Colts, we are threatened by Daniel Jones on the ground and that back out of the backfield, I think, was something that has been cool to see the Giants use on offense. And, man, I just, I just have... I know this is a little bit off top of your question. Just have so much love for Brian Dayball and kind of what they put together. I think it's uh, Kevin O'Connell was telling the story. I guess Dayball was, uh, I think, quarterbacks coach for the Jets when Kevin O'Connell was getting drafted. So I think Dayball actually worked out Kevin O'Connell. Yeah, so did. I, uh, yep. yeah it was yep. like such a funny tidbit, right? But yeah. to see an offense, I think, is put together well. And I think Mike Kafka constantly getting into that groove. He's going to, I think, Donatel comes out in their base sort of stuff. And it's not like you're not going to see their kind of cover eight, cover six stuff. But I, I do think a high leverage third downs we can get into our kind of man coverage world where maybe, you know, our safety coming down has like some sort of spy responsibility as well. But I do love our linebackers, but Daniel Jones in open space versus them, Saquon Barkley versus them in open space. I think the Giants may feel like they have an advantage on that end. On that specifically, because one thing we saw last week, at least with the Giants, was when they were facing a team that's actually going to play a lot of two high safeties, which they haven't faced a lot of this year. A lot of teams have just been like, screw it, we'll play cover one, we'll just put one safety middle, because like, there's no real reason not to. We don't take shots over the top, in my opinion at least. But I feel like what we'll see, based on what you just said, is still a lot of two high safety looks. And one thing what we saw is Kafka adjusted because he played the same defense Washington two weeks ago, and he was still going with the same game plan they've had all year. You know, go under center with Jones, run a lot of play action, play action boot, play action slide routes. And instead, he just went to the gun and ran a lot of quick game. And I think we'll see that again against the Vikings. I also think to build off of that, Jones is better against these two high looks almost in some degree because he can kind of get into that quick game and get the ball out. How has this defense been or I was going to say, has this defense, I know they play a lot of two high shell. Has this defense done any kind of like Tampa two looks or anything to kind of like rotate out something Nick and I have talked about this week is against Washington, Jack Del Rio on more than one occasion on like a handful of occasions, just literally rotated the corner on the field side out, out to the, to the top. And was just like, screw it. You're not going to throw there. Is that something we'll see this week? Or do they kind of, have they not run that a lot? Tampa two robber looks. Yeah, so Tampa not two robber looks right. Yeah. With the safety coming down. Yeah, so the the way that they the Vikings kind of manipulate their stuff isn't really in the Tampa world as much, but at Donatel talks about like they want to win the quote first like first second of the snap, right? So that's one on the defensive line and really that weak safety rotation. So yeah. the quote the, the disguise and stuff you'll see is really going to be like Harrison Smith. I I know that Harrison Smith just has kind of free range to do what he wants to, before he gets to his spot. So you'll see him lined up kind of literally on the line and then still kind of cover the middle of the field. So they'll do some kind of crazy stuff in that, but it's still in the kind of the same structure. So I don't think that their disguise particularly is something that Giants fans need to be so concerned about. Like, oh, Daniel Jones is going to be so, so, so confused. But it's, it is seeing like seeing more kind of unpredictability on the defensive end is helpful. 
but the like spicy, spicy, exotic looks is not exactly, I think, what the Vikings give. But if they're kind of honing down on their fundamentals in those kind of base looks, that's where I think the Vikings are going to succeed. And it is kind of a funny point in the Viking season where, look, they've clinched a division. Like, are they fighting for the two seeds super hard? Like, they have a one game up. So, right. not, and it's not that this is a preseason game in any way. But to me, it's more of a game where, hey, these fundamentals like that, the whole entire 2 I structure, if you want to lean on that in the postseason, those fundamentals really, really need to be hammered, especially in a game like this. And if that means, hey, look, Daniel Jones is going to throw a quick game all day, and it did look like he threw it, uh, threw it uh, pretty well last week. I think the Vikings are fine living in that world, especially if they can stop the run, right? Like Saquon, just seeing him spin all over the field on Monday, that was really, really cool for sure. But that's that's where I think it'll, it'll kind of lie, where not too many kind of crazy, spicy, exotic looks. That weak safety will kind of be your fun point, right? Where he can do kind of three or four different things. But I wouldn't expect any defensive coverage where you at, like you have um, like any two invert or kind of like two Robert okay. kind of different things like that. That should be like, so much a concern and they're not really a huge team that kind of uh like traps the flat like you saw or if you watch the vikings colts game if you survive the whole entire thing there's a <laughs> clip where steph gilmore kind of comes down when jefferson's running an outbreaker on his choice route and kind of hammers him that's not really what the vikings kind of do on defense like they're just not a high cover two defense you know that's or at least that's not what they've shown i'm you know they certainly could they could see the tape also and say hey look they want to run the ball uh they want to like have their kind of counter bash that that whole fun stuff. And then they want to get into quick games. So maybe, but you know, Donatel seems like someone, not that he's set in his ways, but you know, he, he runs his stuff. So I wouldn't expect to see anything too crazy on that end. One more question on something that you discussed to open the show about Daniel Jones and how he is such a threat with his legs. You said that at Donatel's defense, they rely heavily on their pass rushers ability to get home. Now with Daniel Hunter and I'm imagining Zadarius Smith, do those guys choose to rush high side consistently against mobile quarterbacks like Daniel Jones kind of surrendering that B gap? Because one of the biggest, I would say, tendencies that the New York Giants have on offense is if that B gap comes open and Daniel Jones doesn't love what he's seeing, he is going to take it, I would say, what, Dan, eight out of 10 times or nine at, out of At 10 the very times. least. At the very least. And I know that weak side safety, he can drop down and he can be a spy on Daniel Jones at times, but I don't know if they're going to run that so much. So in terms of these edge rushers, are they ones who will abandon the containment to go all out to try to get the home run sack? So that's a great question. And I think brings in a few different things. So not that Daniel Jones and Kyle Murray are like the same athlete, but the way the, the Vikings plans versus Kyler was basically, okay, we're going to have Hunter and another defensive end on the outside and really box him and then get Zedarius Smith over the, the interior guys. Because what I, I do really like that Fangio does is he'll get Zedarius Smith on your weakest link, right? So if that's your right tackle, I think that he'll probably be lined up against him. But I think <laughs> but I think Z Smith does a good job in the interior as well. So to me, I would expect at least one one time for contain to be broken, right? Like I don't I'm not gonna pretend like that's not gonna happen. I think that's a human thing to happen. You know, Hunter, I do really like Hunter. Uh, it's not that they get caught inside too much. It's just I think too hard to constantly rush play after play like really, really disciplined and do that, right? But what I do like on the Viking side is that I really, I love our interior guys, right? Like Harrison Phillips uh, is good. And Dalvin Tomlinson, who I know you guys, that's actually, that's my favorite Viking, like by far. Um, it's not that he's the biggest superstar in the world. I think he's really underrated. And I just love watching him play. So I do feel like Phillips can also really, and Tomlinson in different ways can kind of help out on that end. But I am stressed about it, right? Like I, I'm not going to pretend like, this wouldn't be a big thing in the Vikings meeting room, right? Like they should expect 
the quarterback to get out in some sort of way. And I would expect then, okay, then it falls on the linebackers where especially if the Giants are doing a good job in the past game, manipulating them where you have depth from them, but we're going to see a bunch of Daniel Jones kind of in that open field. And part of that comes down to, okay, well, when in the, in the game does it happen, right? Like, is it happening on every third down? Well, that is a real, real problem, right? I think if the Giants are converting on those third downs in any way possible, it, you know, it's just going to be a longer game. And if it's getting into third and shorts, where you're hitting that quick game on first down, running duo on second down, kind of just eating up those yards. That's something that certainly could happen. The Vikings defense lets up yards, right? Like every defense lets up yards, but I think the Vikings defense is not happy to do it, but comfortable doing it, knowing that, hey, we'll kind of get one on third down. So, you know, I think the Vikings plan is more, all right, we got to get things clicking on offense and we still want to be able to get after Jones, right? Because I think that they feel comfortable, again, maybe on that, uh, the offense's right side or we can get after that tackle that we don't have to force E. Smith on the inside. Right. I'm guessing you guys run a lot of twists and things of that nature with your four-man pressure package because that's something that I felt like the Giants and Dan, I want to get your opinion on this. I think the Giants did a pretty good job against Washington. There was one play that was blown, but other than that, against Philadelphia, it was an absolute nightmare. And throughout the season, the right side specifically with Mark Lewinsky and Evan Neal, they've been a liability whenever teams have decided to run either ET or TE twists. Is that something that the Vikings, you think they will employ? So they they do have that stuff. They do it a little bit less than maybe than we will, maybe we would like to see. But from that note, I would expect then you're going to see Z Smith over right guard, like in some sort of way. It's going to get manipulated that we get that one on one, and I think that that is the way that Donatello and really I think the rush guys together prefer to do it, where it's hey I can beat this guy one on one, whether it's a bull or you know it's it's a speed move around the outside, like we want to get them in their best matchup. And that's the way it happens more than more, I think than the stunts, but the stunt stuff is in there. And I think like, uh, you know, ETT stuff is good, particularly versus like, like draw, for example, if they feel like they're really getting beat up in the quarterback run game uh, on pass plays, like quarterback scramble stuff, I think then maybe we see it a little more, just, you know, stir the pocket in some sort of way. So to me on the giants end, the biggest concern is, okay, I think of offensive line as a weak link system, right? You maybe like to have five really good guys as opposed to one superstar and one really meh guy. So it's where's your weakest link. I think Zary Smith is going to line over him. And, you know, you better hope that you held up kind of as good as you did versus Washington. Well, you nailed the weakest link on the offensive line. That's Mark Lewinsky, their right guard right now. I would say either him or Feliciano in pass protection is their clear-cut weakest link. I'd probably give it to Lewinsky, and that's going to be a tough matchup then if Zadarius you know, Smith, Smith can line up inside and beat him because he's not really like somebody who I trust one-on-one. They've gotten a little better, like Nick said, like picking up the stunts. At least last week they were better, and maybe that also what contributes to that is that Evan Neal was a, you know, had an extra game back, and there's communication issues on that front, but... Definitely worried about that one-on-one matchup. I want to flip it to the other side of the ball, though, because to me, the bigger questions in this game by far are on the other side. Like, Giants offense, we got to hope for, like, a great game. Hopefully, they can stick with the pat, uh, quick game, and hopefully, they get some stuff going. But on defense, I am insanely worried about how to stop this Vikings offense. So I want to start with just one I want to start with something they don't really stress as much on offense, and that's the run game. This has been a very pass-heavy offense Minnesota. Going into this season, I actually, one of the players I just completely avoided in fantasy, fantasy, I do fantasy also for a living, Sean, is Dalvin Cook, because I actually thought, and nobody was talking about it, going away from that Kub, that Clint Kubiak style system is really bad for him, because that was perfect for his skill set. And I did not think that this new run scheme was going to be good for his skill set. How has the blocking scheme evolved? What are they running a lot of? Because I asked this because the Giants are a very simple defense. They are 
good against zone run games, and they are really freaking bad against any team that wants to use power and gaps, specifically counter runs. So what have they used? What have you seen? What are we going to see in this game? And how has Dalvin evolved within this blocking scheme? A bunch of great stuff there. So I will say, you know, a happy thing for Giants fans, the Vikings are not a gap team, right? We're I, I honestly can't remember how I'll probably count on one hand how much power I think we run counter once where an offensive lineman kind of tripped over his or tripped <laughs> over another person's feet. So it's it is a zone based system, right? It is really, you know, when the tight ends out there, they're gonna run that wide zone, they're gonna try and hook with TJ Hawkinson or or Munt and get to the outside of that tight end. When they're running to the weak side, they like running behind Darisaw. Uh He's our left tackle. Very, very good. I think they call it mid-zone where they're just kind of moving that path a little bit interior or in further. So if you're a defense that feels comfortable stopping zone, I think you should feel good about this because blocking the zone, it's, it is really hard, right? The way those double teams work on a chalkboard are simple, right? We, you know, we're going to double a tackle. We're going to get to a linebacker. It is different when you have a professional athlete running like almost 20 miles an hour on a football field, right? So it's been, I think... A little bit difficult, and I think that if Kevin O'Connell was doing a self-scout and talking about it, I think may, maybe he'd be a little disappointed in the run game where it's it's always just one assignment, you know, that someone can't get their, get to their double kind of quick enough. And that's, of course, going to happen in the run game, right? That's not something that's unexpected. But it does feel like he O'Connell is committed enough to the run that you're going to get some wasted downs on offense. And that is, I think, something that's been really, really frustrating all year. And I understand like, you need to have a run game. I'm not one of those, okay, we never need to run the ball, guys. But what I do like how they kind of manipulate that, even when they can't run the ball, is getting into heavier sets and getting getting their play-action game going. So if you can kind of force the Giants into one high looks, which I know they love doing, uh, and play heavy boxes, which I think that they like doing as well, we're going to run Justin Jefferson on an inbreaker on play-action, right? And that is a matchup that I think the Vikings are going to love, and they can hammer. But the run game, I think, is not really something that the Giants defense really needs to be worried about. If Dalvin Cook is just eating yards on the run game, I mean, that is, that's really, really stressful for the Giants defense because that just opens so many other things up. And what I do really like about Dalvin Cook this year is, you know, he's one of their five eligibles. Like, Kevin O'Connell, I think, understands that he has the skill set to catch right. the ball uh, and run. And he, I, he still has, like, gas in the tank. Right? He's got that big run against the Bills, big run against the Dolphins, that crazy long screen touchdown against the Colts, it was really, really fun. So I right. think that he gets used in the pass game in a lot of ways that yeah, I just appreciate a coach that does that, right? That takes advantage of their skill set, right? It's like if you saw Saquon Barkley only run straight, that would be a disservice to who we, to all of his talents, right? I think that putting him in different ways. But I would really be more, more curious on the Vikings then. Okay, they're not going to start running counter. I, I watch both the Commanders games. How many times can a team run counter? It's so funny to see. I mean, hey, if it works, it works. That's your and it did and work. The Giants literally yeah, exactly. couldn't find an answer right? for it. Yeah. So, but I don't expect the Vikings to look that and say, you know what, we're going to install this week. It's That's what better. I was thinking, right? Yeah. Because there's still <laughs> the timing. It doesn't make sense with like uh -huh. the timing of the run game. Yeah, and especially because counter, it's just not been run throughout, right? That's and so, I, mean. yeah. I think that you know, uh, like I mean, Kyle Shannon, like probably my favorite coach, right? You see all the different things they do. It's not that kind of diversity, right? They have right. like good personnel. I like CJ Ham as a fullback. I think that the that in the run game, that is when the offensive line they they do get clicking at different times, um, especially those kind of interior guys or maybe pass protection isn't their number one thing. They can get aggressive in the run game, but the the run game overall I think has been a little bit disappointing. Kind of watching the Vikings and just hoping like, hey, we don't want to see wasted downs, right? Like we we I understand that hey those runs can accumulate and maybe they kind of cause more problems in the fourth quarter or or they're done to get a certain look 
Um, I have liked that they will have kind of pre-snap RPOs or kind of throws where Jefferson's just kind of running a quick smoke where it's, hey, we have a run call, but we're throwing. I know the Giants fans know that. I mean, you see it with Daniel Jones a decent amount of time, but I can't pinpoint exactly what is wrong with the run game, but it is not. It is not a, a like a real legitimate threat in the same way that I think when the Vikings are looking at the Giants, they're saying, okay, our, like this is an offense that has run through Saquon Barkley in a lot of ways. If we are not set to stop this, we, it is going to be a long, long day. I think the Vikings have had a little bit harder time. And it's you know simple stuff, whether it's getting like really figuring out those doubles or getting the timing on it or defenses have also, I think, evolved to stop the zone run game in a lot of different yeah. ways, whether if, if I'm running zone left and kind of defensive end, just kind of, they spike in the linebacker replaces. It's really cool to see if you're a lover of defensive football. Um, but, uh, you know, on the tape, on the run game, on offense, it's, it's a little more frustrating to look at. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download Bet Win. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the WinBet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During WinBet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on WinBet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. I was running low on some groceries, so naturally, I went to a store that sells said groceries to look for my refreshments. 
There I was in the beverage aisle, and I saw these tall boys of what I originally thought was beer, but it was actually in the bottled water section, and it was mountain spring water from the Alps, and it was called Liquid Death. And I thought to myself, do I want to try this beverage that is named Liquid Death because I hear it brutally murders your thirst and their recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. And they also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those are some pretty cool causes. So I bought myself some Liquid Death and I enjoyed it. I was parched and then I drank it. So I was not. So if you want to try some of this Liquid Death, go get Liquid Death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. That's liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. So I have two things off that, Sean. One, how much can you attribute Garrett Bradbury not being there over the last couple games to the struggles in the run game? I know that I'm pretty sure at least the Vikings have struggled all season, so maybe that uh, has nothing to do with it. After that, can you answer, actually answer that question and then I'll ask you the second question. So I guess I wouldn't just put it on that just because from all like the clips I've seen earlier on in the season and watching that, you still have those kind of double team issues. And again, it's really, it is hard to point direct blame on someone. And a lot of times it's just good plays on defense, right? Like that happens. I think that that a lot of, also a lot of zone structures, of course, like there's going to be eventually an unblockable player and if, it, you know, if there's an aggressive safety that can get there or even like a cornerback who's really willing to kind of get in there and tackle, four yards is what you're going to get, right? And so that can be frustrating to watch sometimes. But really, hey, look, that is kind of what it, what it is about. So I wouldn't say, oh, okay, this is, the, this is the center's fault or even kind of health, some other health issues, especially at left tackle uh, and stuff. I think it, it is an execution thing where, you know, people need to get their hands and feet together and those double, they're hard, right? The double teams are hard. I, I know, I think I'm being a little bit hard on offensive line and not giving them enough credit for, mm. you know, things they do. Like last week, 93 offensive snaps and pass protecting through all of that. So it's sure. just, it's unfortunate, you know, when kind of one one player or one double team doesn't work out and you just see the kind of the run blown up. And I think it's interesting too, because the New York Giants, their defensive personnel, they don't want their inside linebackers out there. They use quarter more than any other team, seven defensive backs, dime, you know, they have six defensive backs out there. So I'm curious to, to see if Wink Martindale will notice the struggles of this zone based rushing attack, rushing attack that the Giants have done better against defensively. And then maybe there'll be even more quarter personnel on the field against you guys. And that Dan, look at what the New York Giants just did this week. They released Tay Crowder, their third inside linebacker. They have two inside linebackers shown on the roster right now. And I'm pretty sure Landon Collins is going to be activated to the roster. And we're probably going to see a lot of number 21 in there. Do you think Kevin O'Connell will stick with the run? I know you said he kind of does that because there's going to be lighter personnel, even though there might be six, seven, eight guys, probably not eight, but like seven guys in the box, depending on the personnel that the Vikings are using. Or do you think they will try to just use Justin Jefferson and work the play action as the only means to why they're running the football. I think that if if I know, if, if I ask Kevin O'Connell today, I think he would say, hey, look, we want to be balanced. Like, we want to be able to present both things. You want to be able to be multiple on offense. So I would expect them to try and get into their run game. Again, because not that this is a preseason game, but this is part of their on-ramp into the playoffs. So this is the time to hammer those double teams down, right? And against a team where, as you said, you know, if you're going to have lighter bodies in the box, maybe this is a time where we get our perfect time and where we marry our steps from the running back and the lineman together. So I would expect kind of a decent amount on the run game, but 
as you say, you know, when you have Justin Jefferson, who's really on pace to set a crazy record and <laughs> could be a, a whole entire podcast of his own, is it is interesting that the Giants, again, I think in the way that you guys spoke about on your, especially on your defensive review, kind of how the Giants kind of dealt with Terry McLaurin, that the way that you deal with a star receiver, that does impact how you play the run game too, right? If you're going to kind of, if you're going to get into too high, if you're going to shade, or if you're going to have right. kind of people that are taken out of the numbers in the box, that impacts how you stop the run. So I think that the Vikings do a decent job of early on. One, there, I think they have a really, really high EPA per like opening drive. O'Connell's got a great script, right? So they, I think they get a lot of information from that. So I'm, I am curious to see kind of, all right, well, where are we headed kind of early on? Because eventually it'll become the Jefferson show, but it might not be from staff number one. I have a few questions based off of some of the things you said. The first one I want to talk about, because you said you could do a whole podcast on Justin Jefferson, and I'm, we're not going to do that, but I'm intrigued by a few things on Jefferson front. The first would be, what are some of the route combinations and, and basically just the routes that he's had the most that him and cousins have had the most success with? Because there are specific routes that have just killed this giant scheme this year. The deep overs have just been open all the time against this Wink Barndale system, for example. Um, lately, we've been seeing, like you saw, saw last week, obviously, you know, we tried to put extra attention on Terry McLaurin. That opened up some stuff on the backside, like deep post, things of that nature. So what are some of the things that he's had a lot of success with? And then those other receivers as well, Thielen and Osborne, because I think in this specific game, those two might actually ultimately end up having more production than Jefferson. So Jefferson, who's just obviously a treat to watch every single week. It's so yeah. interesting that like, look, he's obviously not as fast as Tyreek Hill. He's not as big as Calvin Johnson, but he does every single thing so, so well. Somehow always comes down with the ball goes through contact. And some of the routes, I think you see, like he'll line up in the slot and run a choice route, right? So, you know, inbreaker or outbreaker, depending right. on leverage, usually it ends up being kind of an outbreaker, right? He ha They do run kind of crossers for him. So I'd be interested to see, you know, they run kind of two posts from one side, Jefferson on the cross coming on the other side. In their play action game, you know, they have him on a little inbreaker, but they also have him kind of just attack the cornerback, 10 yards break outside, right? They, I, or the older systems, they call it a scout route. So what I also really liked is when teams started to get further and further down the the rabbit hole of, okay, how many different kind of double teams can we throw at him versus the Lions early on in the season? It's cool to see that, okay, Jefferson was doubled so many ways. And this clip, if you're watching on YouTube, is great because Jefferson is, he talks about, okay, Kevin O'Connell did a good job just giving him kind of different angles of release, right? Like this is such a hard play to really get two defenders on right? just based on, like it literally it looks like a C, right? If you call it a C route or whatever, that, hey, I can beat my initial guy who's pressed up on me, and I can still get back into space without having to worry about the safety, and to have Kirk Cousins who's willing to throw that. So those that, those are just, I think, some of the routes. I really, I'm, I, I certainly think he's a complete receiver. There's not that many things that I think that he can't do. And then having him kind of involved in that play-action game in different ways is just, it is, it's got to be stressful on the defensive end. And Again, I think he's averaging like over 100 yards a game. He's like getting kind of chipping away at that record slowly but surely. It seems like he's getting like the biggest shots against him kind of every single game. But as you mentioned, kind of you, Osborne, Thielen, and those guys, what I loved is early on in the season, right? I think it was against the Dolphins where that's when I was like, oh, man, like we're going to continue to see man coverage all day and teams are going to say, make your number two and number three beat us. When, when TJ Hawkinson came in, it's been cool. I think that Kirk Cousins has averaged up the target, like shot up, like it is a lot higher now because Hawkinson can threaten that underneath area. And when you have Jefferson kind of going longer, right? If you're going to be a cover two kind of defense, Jefferson's going to run that kind of, it, it does look like a C, but just their cover two beater, 
where someone's going to kind of come to the flat. And Cousins is throwing that throw really confidently. Yeah. So having that, last game, Osborne had a great game. I think a lot of those throws were kind of, they were not that they were necessarily alerts, but they were, and not exactly the recovery bus, but they're not things that you can bank on in the same way. But it shows that Cousins, okay, he's actually reading this whole entire thing out, right? He is not just locked in on Jefferson, which is a great thing, right? I think that he does a good job of, we need to feed our beast, as you should, right? Get your playmaker of the ball, but we're still running a whole entire concept. So Jefferson's a treat. O'Connell, I think, is really, really continuing to learn. These are the different ways I want to use him. These are the different things that defense are presenting me. And now he has a list of solutions. I think that if the Giants face the Vikings in week three, it would look a lot different than now, where KOC has, I think, built-in answers in different ways, whether they're man-beaters or having different angles of departure, where it's like, they're not, it's not like you're running a route in your backyard, but it's just really hard to get kind of a true double on some of his routes now. Which is really interesting, too, because I think in that last Detroit game in week 14, there were three really long plays where it looked like Detroit had two guys in that one play. I think there was three guys who were really paying attention, but the other the one of the guy was like a deep safety who ran from all the way across the field. And I think that was the play where it should have been a touchdown, but the ref said he stepped out of bounds. To me, Sean, it looked like he did not step out of bounds. That was really impressive. But one thing, if you can think back to week three against Detroit, Justin Jefferson had three catches for 14 yards. And I watched that tape afterwards and I was like, holy crap, like what the hell happened? Is Jeffrey Okuda just like the best cornerback in the league now? And I was like, okay, Okuda played well, but literally almost every single snap, he had a safety over the top. Guy was getting clouded like the entire time. In week 14 against Detroit, I didn't watch the whole film, but on some of the plays I saw, it was similar, but Kirk Cousins was still slinging the damn football. Yeah. Do, you, do you think Kirk Cousins has learned at this point, like, hey, even if he's double teamed, this guy is so good that I have the confidence to now just let it rip to him, and I trust that he's going to go up and make a play. And I got to say, on some of these throws too, the ball placement for Cousins has been absolutely elite. What are your thoughts on that? That's that's such a great question and a great thought, and I, I do think that that is true, where I think quarterbacks, they sometimes have a hard time kind of shedding their stripes. I'm not going to pretend Kirk Cousins isn't the, this a similar player than he's been his whole entire career, but he is definitely from eyes throwing into tighter windows with more confidence. And you probably should when you have Justin Jefferson, right? So that's been encouraging where there was a clip. I think it was at the end of the half against the commanders when the Vikings played them where it looks like, oh, it's a jump ball. We just throw it up and the commanders come away with the interception. But seeing that was really one of the first times where like, this is such an encouraging sign because we have an absolute stutter receiver. And if a quarterback is going to get him the ball or get the ball around him, that is awesome. The Bills game was another one where I know everyone saw the best catch ever. No, no shots at OBJ, our guy, right? But like one of the best catches ever, that is a design where, hey, we know we're going to throw the ball up. But multiple times in that game, ball is going into tight windows. So when the quarterback trusts him, I think it allows Kirk to play quicker. I think it right. he's less jittery in the pocket when he, when he sees, okay, like, like Justin's down there somewhere, right? We can throw it. And I think that is a great plan. Unfortunately, it, it can be a little volatile, right? If your third down plan depends on some 50-50 balls, which 50-50 isn't, I think, an accurate number for it, but there's going to be times where, hey, we go over three and we just can't get that first first down of the drive. We can't get things rolling, especially when defenses know, hey, we're going to dedicate resources to Jefferson. But such, a, I'm so glad you asked that because Cousins, I think, is a litmus test for people that watch. You know, A lot of people are hot on him. A lot of people are on cold on him. Probably somewhere in the middle, but really has those times in a game where he understands his personnel, right? He knows that Justin Jefferson, it's going to be, it's going to look covered, but covered is just, it's just different for Justin Jefferson, right? If you're, especially when you're in those kind of trail techniques from a press corner, right. you know, if, if his back is, the defender's back is to you, you can probably squeeze the ball into Justin if you have that, that kind of confidence. And you mentioned the kind of earlier Lions game. 
that because that was really not that there was a blueprint, but that was something that was really interesting where it was like, oh, like we've we just got a beat up by the Eagles, which we all know how good we I know we know all know how good the Eagles are. Well, is this just going to be the plan going forward? And I do think that refs throw a little bit more holding flags now. Uh, I think that they see that on the defensive end where, <laughs> look, if I was drawing it up, my like number one thing would be like Jefferson has to get literally grabbed off the line like every single time. And, you know, in some high leverage situations, we're going to see how far the refs are. I know it seems like maybe the Giants got a little bit of uh, good defensive holding luck uh, <laughs> for the commander. So if the refs are hesitant to throw those kind of five-yard holding calls, but even if they do, if it's maybe less leverage downs, I think sometimes you have to live with that. So I hate to think that, hey, the one way to beat him is to play illegally, but really going to have to be kind of physical, I think, in some sort of way because the offense does such a good job manipulating zone coverage and knowing if you're just going to play off zone, you're going you're gonna to get melted. I know that's not Wink's personality anyway, so it's not like we would see that. So I'd be curious to see, okay, I would expect maybe a similar plan than versus McCorn, right? We're, say we get two people over there. That does, I think Jefferson will still get his. That falls to the other guys. I think Hawkinson early on in his time in Minnesota has been really, really strong. I think he's had just you know a few ups and downs, maybe just you know bumps and bruises kind of going through a season. But if you can get your number two, get your number three, where Osborne is really, he's a vertical guy. I think he's, he's going to take the top off the defense a lot, where Hawkinson is going to be the kind of one cutting in there. I think Adam Thielen's been dealing with, he's been banged up dealing with an ankle injury really since like week four. So he's maybe not at full, full speed, but someone who still makes those tight window catches. So I think if you're the Giants, like you would be happy for that though, right? If you can kind of, not that it's, oh, we need to hold Justin Jefferson underneath under a hundred yards. But if we're forcing two, three and four on the call sheet to make the plays, I think as a Giants fan, you'd be happy with that overall. And I think that's what Wink's going to ultimately do because it's very Belichickian and it worked against Washington. And this is a whole different breed, Justin Jefferson. But I think what's interesting, just some overall 30,000 foot view about what you said. I do have a question about the matchup, but I want to say this first. Something you talked about, and I've noticed it this year with Cousins, is just his trust in the receiver. And this is something Eli Manning had a lot with Knicks, with Plaxico, and with Beckham, finally, for those like the, the good years, the 14, 15, 16. Ultimately, sometimes in the NFL, I watch these quarterbacks, and I just wonder, like, there's a there's the guys who need everything to be perfect to try to throw these shots, these whole shots, or whatever you want to call them. And there's the guys who just throw them and trust the receivers. And ultimately, like that that second bucket, you need good receivers to make it happen. But that second bucket is where it's at. That's where the passing game is all coming down to. Like I've watched a lot of Trevor Lawrence tape. I've seen the last two games of Trevor Lawrence on film. He's making careers out of guys like Christian Kirk, who are not consistent at all with Arizona. Zay Jones, who is not consistent at all. Evan Ingram, who's just had back-to-back great games. And what is he doing? Not rocket science. He's just throwing tight windows over and over and over again, outside the numbers, tight windows, and just trusting these dudes, and they catch it. And then sometimes they don't catch it, but it's a holding call on the defense, or it's a you know unnecessary roughness, because different penalties can come of it. But most of the time, he's just connecting on it. And that's something I've seen with Cousins here. I'm going to get circle back to the Cousins stuff. There is one thing I want to ask you, but matchup-wise for me, this is a big one. Because I think ultimately the only chance the Giants have is if their pass rush dominates this football game. That's why they beat the Washington Commanders. That's their best unit by far of late. So I want to talk about the Giants pass rush versus the Vikings offensive line. One, is there a weakness on the Vikings offensive line like the Giants have in pass protection with Mark Lewinsky? And who is that? Two, what else can you tell us about the Vikings offensive line in pass protection? So... First of all, I know that you have no negative feelings about Evan Ingram, right? We're only saying positive yeah. things about him. Happy to see him in Jacksonville. But yeah, so the, the Vikings offensive line has been interesting where 
you know, multiple rookies on the offensive line. I think our left tackle, Christian Darisaw, is is just really good, right? He is very, very good. Uh, O'Neal on the right side is good, right? Our center, I think, is going to be coming back. Um, I would say that if there's a weak point, it's probably that right guard spot, you know, maybe even even both both guards or manipulating the inside. Certainly when you have those bookend tackles, it's going to be hard to be as good as those guys. So I would be curious, you know, I love seeing, you know, Tibbs was just going off, right? It was awesome to watch him against Washington as a watcher, like from the outside. It was a little bit more stressful knowing that he's yeah. coming to U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis on uh, on Christmas Eve. But I would be curious if, I know I've seen some clips of Thibodeau kind of being put inside in different ways. I think I think that Thibodeau can probably beat only in most tackles, even the highest level of tackles. But I think if he gets on the inside, and I think that Wink's eyes are probably glowing real big, knowing that, hey, you can really stunt on these guys in different sorts of ways, where they, again, they just like 93 snaps on offense, right? had to pass protect all day long. I'm sure there's bumps and bruises. Just clinched the division. Not that they're not focused. Like I, I certainly expect, you know, all the Vikings guys to be locked in. But where they're in a phase where it's like, hey, you know, maybe we take less reps during the week, or maybe we understand, hey, you know, veteran rest days and kind of things like that in different ways. Where I do think that the offensive line can be attacked. I'm, I do think that that is a plus plus for the Giants, especially because you know it's not that the Giants just have one guy, right? You know, they got disease, they got um, Williams, they have multiple guys that I think can make plays on the defensive line. And that, as I said really early on, all your coverages look way better when you have an attacking defensive line that can do that. So I think that I would be interested to see what different stunts go on. If it's just, hey, we want to get Thibodeau one-on-one on our right guard, who I think Ed Ingram, look, he's, he had really good tape, I think, at LSU. And he, he's he's rookie. He's putting things together, right? I expect him to be, you know, to get to a decent place in this league. I think right now, maybe he's just not at that point, which is, no, I think, no shots at him. But he's still putting it together in a way that I think right now the Giants are circling that spot and figuring, let's stunt at him, let's you know get him moving laterally side to side, and then let's just kind of send Kayvon at him. So it's, it'll be interesting to see, and I'd be interested to hear kind of what you guys have seen in terms of, well, does Wink just like sending him outside the edge or different things that they've seen? I remember there's that one clip where there's like three guys in a row. I'm not sure how, yeah. how crazy we get with that, but how much, you know, how much he can kind of get inside too. I think yeah, a couple of the reps from last week, they they had him inside. Nick, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but he really just looped around. He didn't actually have like a one-on-one matchup with the interior offensive lineman. I haven't seen too much of that. Have you, Nick? No, he's aligned inside a, a handful of times a season. I think last week he did it the one time where he did loop around. And that's yeah. traditionally what they do. And I think one big reason for that, Sean, is not just because Kayvon can't do that, but it's also because you have Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams. And right. to me, those are both very good interior defensive linemen in terms of rushing the passer and stopping the run. I mean, the defensive line is the strength of the New York Giants. That's the dangerous part of this team. And if I am a Vikings fan, that's what I'm worried about. And I don't know much about the Vikings offensive line. I'll be, <laughs> I will say this. I've studied a lot of these kids coming out of school. And I feel like from a stylistically or a stylistic standpoint, you have a bunch of finesse guys and then a couple just like brute dudes like yeah. Ed Ingram and Christian Darisol were like brute physical guys who wanted to like throw your face into the dirt. Whereas Ezra Cleveland and Brian O'Neill were like finesse. Brian O'Neill was a tight end at pit. Right. Like, like, I don't know. I feel like from a stylistic standpoint, that's pretty interesting. But in terms of what the giants do, they will run twists, but 
they like to blitz. That's their philosophy. They blitz more than any other team in the league. 44 point, I think 1% off the top of my head, which is almost half of their plays. They're bringing some sort of blitz. It could be from the nickel. It could be from the inside linebacker position, which is something I feel like they've done a lot over the last three weeks, specifically with Micah McFadden, who has assumed the starting role over Tay Crowder, who is no longer on the New York Giants. And also another thing they love to do is rotate typically the weak side safety down and send them off to the backside. And that's one way how the Giants got off the field. And I think it was a third and three. It might've been a third and five with uh, 27 Jason Pinnock coming. So you know what Wink does. I mean, I know you study your film. He's going to put seven guys on the line of scrimmage. He's going to bail some out. There's going to be simulated pressures. He's going to try to do everything in his power to create free rushers to just wreak havoc on the opposing quarterback. Now, one question I have based off that is how has Kirk Cousins performed under the, under pressure? And has he really faced a team that brings as much pressure as the New York Giants does. Well, no one's faced as much as as much pressure as a team that the like the Giants, right? But so Cousins against pressure has been interesting cuz I think the Eagles game again, everyone looks bad against the Eagles. Some teams in the NFL are just really really good, right? So he it really really looked early on in the season like, "Oh man, we're in week 2, we're getting pressured. I'm going to start hearing people be like, "Oh, Kirk Cousins overrated this this and that." But I do think he's played better against pressure whether it's things like stepping up in, in the pocket kind of well. I do also think that's partially on Kevin O'Connell. He's done a good job of adapting, whether it's, you know, throws that are quicker or, hey, look, we have to have a deep, deep bag of man beaters, right? It can't just be, hey, we're going to run the same stuff. We're going to trust Jefferson to do it because the defense is smart. And I think the Giants will do this is, hey, we just need to disrupt your timing just a little bit, right? It doesn't have to be where every single time we get to Kirk, we're slamming him down, but we're, Maybe in the past we've seen Kirk not again not be jittery, but you know maybe a ball gets high. I I have felt just good about how he's played under pressure in different ways. Where at the same time, where of course I mean there's going to be sacks here and there, right? Like I'm not going to pretend like there isn't that. Even against Indianapolis, you know they have I think a strong guy in the interior for sure on defense. He was able to beat some guys on the Vikings, right? So where I I do think Kirk's pressure play has been better. I do like about the Giants is, you know, if if we were to agree, maybe the defense isn't the number one most talented defense in the NFL, you should lean into volatility, right? Like you should lean into those kind of plays on the premise that, hey, if we get a sack fumble, that is so huge. The Giants game was over when Thibodeau had that touchdown. Like it is so hard to recover from that, to lose a possession, a defensive touchdown, have to force the offense to go zero yards, right? So I think if the right. Giants can do that, and that is possible. I do really like, I think Kirk Cousins is great in the pocket when he's getting just absolutely destroyed about holding on to the ball. So maybe that's something that will be a little bit harder for the Giants than I think against uh, the commander's quarterback. But it's something where his play is at a high level. But I mean, I expect some sacks, right? Like I, And that's unfortunate to have. It just, I think, is going to depend, well, when is that happening, right? If the Giants offense is clicking, you know, the run game's working, the Giants get up 7 nothing early, and the Vikings kind of fall in that rut that they feel like they do kind of once once a game, like clockwork in the third quarter where they're just hit hit that, you know, stick in the mud area. That's certainly a spot that the Giants are going to be able to take advantage of. Sean, you brought up man beaters. So I just wanted to share this, Dan, on YouTube real quick because this was one of the most ridiculous plays I saw in terms of just getting embarrassed as a defensive back. <laughs> Look at that corner. That cornerback doesn't know where Justin Jefferson is until Justin Jefferson is accelerating upfield. That's insane. Like, look, look at oh, that poor guy. He has a family, man. Like that. That's insane. Like, <laughs> not only does he set a pick and allow KJ Osborne to run wide open, but he, oh man, and I feel so bad from from his perspective in the film room. He probably took so much shit for that. But it, you get to watch that every week, Sean. 
it's it look I, like i said i'm i'm a really lucky guy about this and again what i like about it is is that that clip if no if you're you know just listening on spotify or apple or whatever like he looks like he's running kind of a shallow like a drag that he's usually that he does that often and then he breaks out right so it's a combination of this guy has an absolutely elite skill set this coach wants to take advantage of that and we're going to make things look the same in different ways right it's not always going to be hey this is a designer call right like this is a play that is designed like the um if anyone remembers the there's the route against um Steph Gilmore where he's running that uh I mean it's pretty much like a, a Cooper Cup like Renfro route, right? Like they talked about like Jared Goff accidentally discovered it with Cooper Cup like in the summer because like Cooper Cup was kind of covered where okay, that's a designer route. But a lot of these beaters, they look like their base plates. So I think that that is a really, really cool thing. Cause I love good coaching. Like I just do. And I think that that's a great combination of a coach who again understands this player wants to put him in the best position to succeed and just makes it so stressful on a defender where if we know, hey, your rule is if he breaks inside, then you have to go with him. If we can create a rub in some sort of way or create some sort of friction where I need to force the defender to work through traffic and go the other way, then, hey, you know, that's kind of an advantage back to the offense. You know, uh, even KJ Osborne had a good play where Justin Jefferson, one of the cool parts about him that you don't get to see necessarily is that he just has so much gravity from defenders right as he should especially in the renzo when he's breaking inside two guys are gonna bracket him and that means that space is gonna go elsewhere right on the two-point conversion to tj hawkinson late in the game he gets a one-on-one and a lot of that is because jefferson demands as he should two defenders right so it's a cool situation where hey all these talents all these good things all these good things but you know some players also make life easier for other players and it's really cool to have justin jefferson in that and i love that uh, dan i think you talked about a little bit where these quarterbacks who throw these kind of more like high leverage balls and that stuff. And it's cool to see like wide receivers have a real, real big impact. I think on quarterback development, right? right. It's going to be really cool to see Trevor Lawrence with a little bit better receiving court next year when Calvin Ridley comes back. Right. Yep. I think it makes a lot of sense that Josh Allen and Steph Diggs, like they're it's, it's beautiful seeing them together. Right. I think they bring the best out in each other. And I think Jefferson does that for Kirk. And that'll be something I'm interested, interested to see. Even if you think of Daniel Jones as kind of a stopgap quarterback for, however long going forward, you know, get a really good guy in that room, right? right? It's no shots to who's there right now, but what does that offense look like when the defense is saying, oh, no, like we are stressed about this, and they're not yeah. just saying, well, we can, you know, close the middle of the field, let's go stop the run. It'll be right. interesting to see that in the same way. Again, I think Jalen Hurts is, is just better than Daniel Jones in a lot of ways. I don't think that's particularly controversial, but seeing Jalen Hurts in an offense where, man, like that offense is so good and you can't play man coverage. I know as the Giants saw in different ways yeah. and when they run slot fade, when you just have that many threats, right? It's, right? it's just too hard to do it. And I think that's part of why the Vikings kind of add TJ Hawkinson and, you know, just get a little more interested in that when defense kind of, they're going to try and shut down Jefferson, we can go elsewhere as well. And on that, if the Giants want to find somebody, what did you guys get him at 22nd, Justin Jefferson? It's not like he was a top five pick. It could be where the Giants are picking this year. So just a little sliver of hope for Big Blue Nation right there. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know what's interested is um, like for now, I mean, it sounds, seems like every year a guy, like a, two studs from Ohio State come out, right? You see Olave and man, Wilson, I know across the, not even across the street, like in the same building as it's, it's, I'm sure it's tough to watch a receiver that talented. But the second round, I think, is a place where you can also get receivers, yeah. right? Like it's, it may even go back to like, you know, the kids these days, like they just are trained really, really well, right? They get so many reps. I think when they're, you know, in college in these systems that, you know, really are detailed and ask a lot of them 
Whereas before we may say, oh, like we're expecting kind of a second year jump from these receivers. Like some of these guys can come in and play right away. So that's cool. And I think, you know, certainly can be something that's optimistic for the Giants. Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating to think of Garrett Wilson in the sense that if the Giants didn't take Gary Stoney and just, for example, took Christian Darisaw, who's been an absolute stud for you guys, they'd probably have taken Garrett Wilson this past year over Evan Neal or something like that. So you got to think about that. But I want to talk, I want to wrap up with a couple things, a score prediction from you. But before we do that, I want to do a 30,000 foot view question with you. I know you're mostly an X's and O's film guy, but so if you don't want to answer this or you don't feel like you do, no worries, but. I'm curious to get your take on kind of a roster building question regarding the Vikings. The Vikings are a team that committed at the time an unprecedented contract to unprecedented contract to Kirk Cousins. It was guaranteed money, fully massive contract. Since then, they've had to basically just keep kicking the can on that contract and on Kirk Cousins cap hit. Kick, 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 kick. And each year as you're seeing next year, I think is going to start to really kick this into gear. They're going to have to get rid of guys that are really great players for their team and helping their team because they simply can't afford to, because they're committing so much of their cap to this quarterback, Kirk cousins who, and in my opinion, and and please don't take this the wrong way, Sean, but I don't really view the Vikings as a serious Super Bowl contender this year, to be completely honest. I don't think from what I've seen in some of their games, if they have to run into the Eagles, I'm not even sure they're going to do a good job against the Niners. So, is this how do you feel about this type of thing and where are you at with this because i feel like this is kind of the ceiling for some of these quarterbacks that you invest in the nfl and i'm not so sure that's like a ceiling i want to go down or i have any interest in and i know it's so hard in the nfl so it's like all right if you don't do that how are you going to find your you know trevor lawrence pat mahomes justin herbert types but also at the same time if you don't find those guys is there really even any point to grinding to a certain so I'm just curious how you've enjoyed the experience, if it's something you would want to do again, or like if you even yourself are like talking about in your head, like maybe we start to do uh, consider a Jalen Hurts route at some point in these next couple of drafts where we take a developmental quarterback in the second round, then we can move Kirk Cousins for picks like the Eagles did with Wentz or something like that. Yeah, the, the Vikings are so, so interesting. I want to make it clear. I think I made it clear in every single way. Okay. I don't think that the Vikings are, are going to win the Super Bowl, right? Like I really don't. Like they're not as good as their record. But at the same time, right, like we just got to get into the dance, right? Once we're there, I know, I know Giants fans know about yeah. what it means. You know, you get in that wild card, you can make magic happen, right? So to me, the are they good? Like, I don't, I almost don't even have to look at it because it's like, well, they're going to be there, right? So, you know, if they can beat Washington or even, you know, if you get New York in round one of the playoffs, like, hey, we're in the second round of the playoffs, right? So don't think they're incredible. But what um, the new GM, Kwese Odofa Mensa, he, you know, characterize it as a competitive rebuild, which I think that that is a really cool way to put it. And the drawing the comparisons between the Vikings and Giants are interesting where obviously I think it's clear the Vikings are more talented in certain ways than the Giants that I do think they should draft at at the very least a developmental quarterback, right? Like, I mean, candidly, I would be fine as a Vikings fan if they draft a quarterback in the first round. And that doesn't take a direct shot at Kirk. I think that part of it is recognizing, hey, look, I just don't think the balls are going to bounce the same way as they do next year. Right. Right. Like, I, <laughs> I hope that, Hey, we're at the 53 minute mark. Vikings fans, you know, they already tuned out. They, I think know where I'm going with this <laughs> kind of stuff, but the balls aren't going to bounce the same way. Right. Like you're not going to get the same turnover. Look, you're not going to have, you know, the literally the largest comeback in NFL history. And that means that with a roster that is aging in particular parts, even though, Hey, we really, really need a lot of help at cornerback, but we're getting old in different parts, but you have, I think studs like Jefferson, right? You can build your team, your offensive line around a guy like Darisol, right? You have these different parts that are good. I would say, hey, 
for the Vikings particularly, it's it's really time to, to think about it. At the same time, I think that Kirk has played well and to the point where he's not a guy you cut, right? I think that it's he's in a different, like a full different tier right. than Daniel Jones. I think the Giants side of that is like it it was already time to move on, right? I don't think that you need to sink any more into it. It could be a situation where I really think that the smartest idea is, hey, you know, if we can get him on a, on a, like a smarter contract on our end, right. make it a little shorter where it stinks. It's easy, right? I know that uh, Nick plays a bunch of Madden. Like when you play Madden and you just kind of plug another, like a computer in there, that's different than with a human being. And I, again, I'm, I'm a scheme guy, but I like really understand. I feel like I or think about the human aspect of it. If you draft a quarterback in the first round as a, as the Vikings, well, does that affect Kirk? Maybe it doesn't, right? I think that is a sign, though, for him. But I think, you know, Kirk's an adult. I think he can understand that. But then you get that kind of ten- maybe tension a little bit in the locker room if Kirk is playing as well and people say, oh, you know, we had all this luck last year and all this stuff. Where is it this year? So it's such a hard question. And I think it's a central question in why GMs just, like, get fired and, like, yes, why sure. GMs that, that kind of hit on a quarterback at Lucky. Oh, yes. sorry, not that lucky. That why gems that yeah, lucky kind of in hit. some ways. Well, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, like, that's true. You right? don't, like, it's not hard to draft Joe Burrow number one overall <laughs> or Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> good point. Good point. Right. So I do think though that the quarterback position is just so important that like you, it has to be multiple shots, right? Like it cannot be that's something where yep. on the Giants side where we're gonna stay pat, right? Like I'm glad you have great great backup in Tyra Taylor. Like it, I think it needs to be someone where it's hey, where it's a developmental guy. Or you have a situation where it's like the Eagles where, hey, you know, it's the guy who we're, we're, you know, we're still figuring it out in different ways. Let's build the absolute best team around right. him as we can. Understanding where, as you said, once that quarterback contract comes up, unfortunately, you do get kind of pulled away in other sides. And you have to, you're going to have to pay a quarterback eventually, right? So your hope is that, hey, we've gotten enough tape on this guy. We know him in our system. And that's something I think it's, it's hard to kind of quantify. Like Cousins has had... 15 weeks in this specific system, right? Right. Next year, his play, I think, again, partially versus luck, partially versus, you know, maybe it's health with other guys or anything. I just don't think it's going to, like, the Vikings are going to look as good as this, even though he is more comfortable in this system. And so my concern for players is, I know that you guys know this with the Giants, is I don't want to have a developmental or a quarterback that gets three different offenses in three years. Like, that is such a disaster, and it's so unfortunate, which... I do like that the Giants feel like, okay, they're building the plane around Daniel Jones in certain ways where we think of, okay, the Vikings are a Kevin O'Connell offense, but like really your offense is your quarterback in a lot of ways, even if it's built around like the running back. So I feel like I, I gave like no answer at all. Yeah. In, but the important, important parts to say are the Vikings, I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender, uh, and that's okay. Like the Vikings, I were not expected to win the division. All right. You can, I think be in that quote competitive rebuild when you have talent like the Vikings have, like I think they have their cornerstones in different ways. Like I said, Justin Jefferson is stud. Like they're going to draft a cornerback next year. That makes a lot of sense. The tough ones, you know, come in when you like Adam Thielen comes up and you're like, look, this guy's going to be in the ring of honor. Like he, he has a huge cap at next year. I don't know. Like what message do you send to your guys? If you cut a guy like that, right. where you think, Hey, I can bring in someone that's better than that. And then I do think there's such a value in continuity Right, the more you play in a system, I think for a lot of players, like it, it's going to be better. Right, like it's hard to think that you know when Jalen Hurts is in the in, in the offense next year, who man, I hope his shoulder gets all good and I hope that they're fine for the playoffs and everything. Uh, I know Giants fans maybe don't feel the same, but w- like w- when he's in that system again, that that's really really kind of positive and healthy. But definitely a proponent in as long as you have the locker room controlled, where especially I think the Vikings do. I watch all their press conferences. I'm not gonna pretend like I've been in the locker room or like like felt what it feels like. I think they have an awesome culture, right? If they 
But I'm what I am really intrigued about KOC this offseason, his first year as a like having coached, and then that offseason where you may probably have an emotional attachment to these guys that you've really ridden through a lot of things with, like, well, do you make those hard cuts? Right. Like, are you right. able to kind of bring competition in in a healthy way? Right, where like all of us would love to, like you know, you sign Matt Flynn and then get Russell Wilson kind of just walking but in. I'm off not the, sure he's going to really have that option. That's my whole thing, Sean. When you keep kicking that can, that's a good quarterback. Point. Yeah, you don't really have that option. Everybody brings up these Eagles example. Look at this team they built around Jalen Hurts. Well, yeah, because Jalen Hurts was a second round pick. He's not even the first round pick rookie deal. This is second round. This is like one mil against the cap for four straight years. That's literally the only reason they're able to do what they're able to do. So that's it's just the that's financials of it is really interesting to me mm-hmm. because yeah. I don't know what you really are supposed to do. Like, it's, <laughs> like I'm, it's very hard, but I'm yeah. just not so sure. There's so much of a ceiling with yeah. paying the quarterback unless that quarterback is in that top five. Right? That's true. Yeah. I think yeah. the coach GM kind of dynamic is so interesting because it feels like the GM's job is, Hey, we need to be good three years from now, obviously good now as well. But then the coach's job is like, we need to be ready tomorrow. So like, well, what right. is your kind of balance with that? And so I would say that I'm comfortable like with Kirk Cousins level of play, like the way he, he's getting paid. Now, if he was a free agent, would I sign him to like the a deal that I think maybe Lamar gets or that right. eventually like the Herbert deal that's just gonna like be so many zeros, like so incredible yeah. to watch? Like, okay, maybe not, right? But where we're at now, understanding I think it's better for Minnesota to play with the quarterback that they have. He is not the number one, I think, average like year per um like average annual salary per year hit. And you build the team kind of in the way that you can. You're right, it hamstrings you. We were, we were talking about baseball before this. They don't have a salary cap. Football does. You have to take your lumps in certain ways. But you can make up for that if you're paying that kind of – maybe Kirk Cousins in that 10, 12 range when you hit on your graphics, right? Brian Osamo right. will come in and hopefully Lewis Seen gets healthy. Um, yeah, so it's a tragic injury to see him, right? If you hit on those, right. it makes it easier to pay a guy when he's, hey, look, this guy's at 12. But I do think you know maybe we have the volatility to kind of bump up. So – where, where we like on a spreadsheet look at, hey, well, this is this quarterback. This is his number. This is where I think he is at in this league. It, I know we all agree. It is so much more complicated than that. And where you do have team building issues, ideally, right, we get a stud on a rookie deal, right? We get the Trevor Lawrence uh, to walk in and just like we can really kind of sign these things. You make a really good point about Hurts, right? He's on that kind of um, like that rookie deal, especially in the second round. I love that you brought that up. But I think you can be you can still build a competitive team. Like when your quarterback is doing that, understanding, hey, look, we can go, you know, we can win 12 games this year. We might win eight next year, you know, if the volatility kind of goes in the opposite direction. I have kind of a dumb question, Sean. All right. That kind of gets away from everything that we just covered. But you share a division, the Vikings do, with the Detroit Lions, who to me are kind of riveting, somewhat compelling, right? You got Dan Campbell's opening press conference. He's talking about eating kneecaps and stuff. How does the rest of the division view the Detroit Lions? Like, are they like the little brother? Are they like the punching bag? Are they like just an annoying team? Like, what is the opinion of the Detroit Lions within the NFC North? Awesome, awesome question. Uh, you know, it's funny because, you know, in two games, the Detroit Lions really like kicked the Vikings' butt in a lot of ways. So even if a Vikings fan would say, you know, like, we're not really afraid of them, like, they still have a long way to go. Yeah, you should be scared of the Lions. You absolutely should be. Like, as like we all saw hard knocks and obviously there's a hard knocks bump, but I think that they're, I'd be interested to see how they handle a lot of the same questions that kind of Dan posed. Right. So to me, the concern are, if you're saying, well, what do we look at the Vikings? This is a, a, a well coached team that early in the season, I think maybe they lost some one score games. They were like ripping this streak together. 
their long-term issue is going to be absolutely at that quarterback position, right? Where I, you know, maybe you put Goff, I would say above Jones, but I think below Cousins in different ways that I don't think you can build the whole plane out of him, right? And my concern for the Lions is going to be, well, my hope maybe if you're in the other guys in the division is let's go get that Lions offensive coordinator, let's get Johnson, let's go hire him somewhere else, right? Because when you get that brain drain and you lose your offensive coordinator, then I'd be concerned, well, how is that next quarterback going to develop? So I think Lions have a good draft pick kind of through trades and stuff, but absolutely concerned. Like if I was to just pick randomly, like I think every season, one team that didn't win the division ends up in the playoffs. Like the Lions are a really, really good pick. I think going forward, not only are they a darling just because of like, quote, how they play and stuff, but like, man, like their offense is really well designed. It is stressful, I think, to watch on the defensive end. The Vikings, like one of the reasons why people were so much yelling so much for play tight coverage, play tight coverage is because the Lions just really ripped up this kind of off coverage in different ways, which shows, okay, this is an offensive scheme who, you know, this offensive coordinator grew up drawing up quarters beaters, right? Like he yeah. understands these rules. He knows how to do it. They have uh, like Jameson Williams, who I love. Um, he was at Ohio State previously, but then went to Alabama where he got, you know, all those clips and stuff. Like that's a team where you should be concerned, right? Where the rest of the division, hey, you think Justin Fields, you know, I, I love Justin Fields. I think their roster is a little bit further off. The Lions are really pushing up whether... Green Bay, I think a lot of, in a lot of ways can be hit or miss. You know, you see, well, where's Rodgers at? Obviously, like I think they've hit on their receivers really cool in a really cool way this year. But I'm not going to expect the Vikings to have the same amount of wins next year as this year. If they do, it's like it would be like absolutely, I think something that would be unprecedented. Just the way that they want they win they win these games. No one's going to go undefeated in one score game. So on the Lions point, love the Lions. Really, really concerned, I think, if you're another team in the division because of it seems like what they're building. But it's not that they're, like, two years off anymore, right? Like, they're winning right. games. They're going to push in the playoffs. Like, they beat the Vikings a few weeks ago, right? If you think the Vikings are a team that, one, they clinched the division. Like, these guys are maybe going to win a first game in, in the playoffs. Like, the Lions like, threw them around and, like, forced the Vikings to have a huge comeback the first time they played them, too. So it's, it's a situation that's going to be really fun to monitor. You know, you just, you, it's not even like it's a little brother anymore. I'm the youngest of three. It's like when I think maybe when I got to high school and then my older brothers were like, oh no, like he's actually faster than us now, right? <laughs> like it's, it's getting to that point. And the question is going to be obviously like, right, what's going to happen at quarterback? Is it going to be, hey, like we need to have golf for another year. We're going to bring in a guy and then, you know, that holdover and kind of develop that thing. And it's, it's crazy how many of these kind of questions kind of fall down to, well, what's going to happen at quarterback? And I think of that for all three situations, the Lions, the Giants and the Vikings, you know, that where the Vikings, I think, should feel the most secure about that. Yeah, it's where so many things hinge on. All right. Thank you so much for your time today, Sean. This was freaking awesome. We loved chatting with you about the X's and O's. Hopefully, people who listen now feel a little more comfortable for what to look out for in this matchup. But we'd like to wrap this up. If you can give us a score prediction, and then both Nick and I will give our score predictions. Oh, man. You know, this is a tough one. I am an optimistic person. Uh, I was leaning in my head thinking, okay, the Giants, like, they have way more to, more to play for here. You know, they're coming off a hot streak, but the last time I predicted the Vikings loss was against the Patriots, and obviously, you know, the best player I think on the field a lot of time wins it. So, I'm gonna go with 24-14 Vikings, uh, which is a big win. You know, when the Giants are only, I think they're only a three and a half point underdog, but I think that in a lot of ways, the Vikings have evolved to understand when, hey, when we get blitzed, when we get a team that's gonna play man heavy, even when we get a team that is gonna double team us, we are gonna be able to kind of deal with that, but. If you're, you know, don't don't be concerned when the Vikings just fall asleep for the entire third quarter. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go with 24-14, understanding that I'm more than happy to be wrong. I'm not gonna be personally offended if the Giants win. 
uh, and end up making the playoffs for sure. Nick, why don't you give your score prediction and I'll roll into mine. Alrighty, so I'm going to go with 27-17 Vikings. I think the Vikings have just too much talent on offense and the Giants are a little bit too injured on the defensive side of the football. Although I do think the Minnesota Vikings defense isn't as good as recent defenses the Giants have faced in Washington and in Philadelphia. So I think they could hit on a deep pass to Darius Slayton. There could be a big explosive play through the air for the New York Giants. And I think Saquon will have a solid game overall. But in the end, I think the Vikings will be a little bit too much for the New York Giants to handle and the Vikings will win 27-17. I'm going to dive into this one. So I've actually been pretty damn accurate on these. I think the only ones I've gotten wrong so far this year, it's pretty crazy, are the tight, well, Titans first week. I got yeah. the Lions game wrong. I technically got the Washington game wrong, the tie. But I did say we would win this last game against Washington. Um, and then all the other losses I predicted would be losses, Dallas, Philly. And the wins I predicted would be wins, Jack. So I'm actually going to. did you predict, though? I did not predict Green Bay. So that was another loss. Given my tracker, going to want to keep it strong. I'm still going to pick the Giants to win this game. So I'm predicting the Giants will win this 23 to 20. Here's my take on that. It starts with this. It depends entirely on a good opening script from Kafka and a good early start from the defense. If the Giants get that, which I think they will, I predict them to win. If they do not get that, they will not win this game and they will get blown out because I've been at that stadium before I was there in 2016 when Odo Beckham was still on the team. If you fall behind there to the Vikings, that is one of the biggest home crowd advantages in the sport right now. It has built that stadium to be insanely loud, and those fans get insanely loud. And then you can't hear anything, and there's communication errors. So so as long as that doesn't happen, which I don't think it will, the reason I think the Giants are going to win this game is, one, they're playing for more just from that whole. And it's not to say that I think these Vikings players will be not locked in, like you said. It's just there's they just clinched the division. They're coming off the most emotional, crazy comeback win. And they're not really playing for much. Like you said, they can't really get that one seed unless a lot of luck happens. I mean, it's technically still possible, but very unlikely. The two seeds not worth anything anymore. The way the NFL has it set up with the two versus the seven. And so there's just not much riding for the Vikings. The Giants on the flip side, there's a lot more riding for them. Yeah, they're in a good position after beating Washington. They still need to win one or two of these last three games to really lock it in. So I think based on that, based also on the fact that I think because the Vikings don't run a lot of power gap and don't run the counter game, they're going to struggle in the run game. There's going to be a lot of third and long situations. That's where the Giants defense thrives. They're going to get to Cousins early. So I think ultimately – Giants start early with a few like scores, like touchdowns, and a ton of field goals from the Giants. I think they're going to get two touchdowns and just field goal, field goal, field goal. And then they're going to hold the Vikings are going to have like more offense than the Giants. They're going to look better, but they're going to s- struggle a little bit in the red zone and then turn the ball over a couple more times than the Giants. And that's the recipe right there. So 23 to 20 Giants. That's my call. Jeez, I hope so. One thing, too, Sean, that I found <laughs> really weird is looking at the schedule. Five out of the last six games, Minnesota has been home, including this one. Yeah, right. Early in the season, they had um, like all their divisional, their first three divisional games were all home. So the Vikings are just like weird quirks of the schedule. We went to London for one game. Now we got like two Saturday games played like it was like five games to 28 days before the Colts game or something ridiculous. I don't know what it was that the Vikings are just getting, you know, weird weed schedules. But I, I like what Dan's going with. And I think the most important thing is like there's definitely a path to Giants win. It's not something yeah. where... Like, honestly, if I thought the Vikings were going to blow out the Giants, probably wouldn't have came on this. Just kidding. Love you guys. I'm, I'm so happy with what you guys do for the Giants. But there's absolutely a way for these Giants to win, right? Which is stressful on the Vikings end. Should be encouraging for the Giants. But, like, it just it makes it so much more fun in that this isn't a game where you just think the Vikings are going to roll all over them. It's going to be, I think, I do think it's going to be a fun one for sure. 
Yeah, it will be. Thanks so much for joining us again, Sean. Remember, you can find him on Twitter at Syed Schemes. That's S-Y-E-D-S-C-H, just like my last name, E-M-E-S. Find it there. I promise you you're going to love following this Twitter account. Thanks again, Sean. Have a great rest of your night, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate it, guys. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.